and welcome to another episode of Cowgirls and Indians. I am the cowgirl, Christina Cook. And I'm the Indian Keith Nobles. And he really is. He yeah, really, really is am. An, he really is an Indian. <laughs> and that's what we're talking about. This is part two of a of a two two show series. At least I think we can get through the whole thing on this one. <laughs> I, there might be a part three. I guess we'll find out. But we're talking about uh, the history of Indians with the United States government and and the interaction between those two. And and the last episode, if you didn't catch it, I highly encourage you go to go back and listen to it. As I uh, you know contemplate kind of listened to and, and, and contemplated what we talked about last time, Keith, is just, you know, it occurs to me, and I think I think you've said this to me before, it's just one bad idea after another bad idea after another bad idea. After, it started out okay, oh, right? It started out wonderfully. You know, George Washington was inviting the Indian tribes to come in as nations, you know what I mean? Yes, as, as, and the Constitution provided for that. Exactly. So this was the <clears throat> intent from the very founding yes. of our country, and it wasn't until Andrew Jackson and his disastrous policy of removal or genocide, which he finally came down on the side of removal, for which I'm thankful because you're sitting here with me today. But, you know, Andrew Jackson just just, you know, annihilated that policy, completely turned it on its head. Right. Yes, exactly. And so where we left off last time, we talked about everything, you know, from before Jamestown up to basically the Trail of Tears and and the Treaty of 1851. Why don't you start kind of give me some background, unless there's anything else that you want to highlight from the last episode. No, I mean, I simply want to add this. There are thousands of things we could discuss here. Sure. That that would be pertinent to the topic that, yeah, we just can't spend hundreds of hours talking about this. Well, the name of the podcast is Cowgirls and Indians, so, you know, we probably could. <laughs> well, maybe at some point we will. Yeah. But, but... So the people say, you didn't talk about this or that, and I fully understand and own that. There's a very rich but history here. We're explore. trying to get through, yeah, these major events, especially in terms of federal policy. Right. That determine what happened to your neighbors who may be citizens or enrolled members of Indian nations. Right. Right. And, and the point to this is Thomas Sowell, who said, uh, Nearly bad. Uh, every bad idea that's popular today has been tried before over and over with disastrous results. <laughs> Bingo. Well, nearly every popular idea progressives have today, they already did to the Indians. Yeah. And the results were horrific. Right. And, and we need to just look and explore and be honest about that. Well, let's be let's be clear about this. The results were horrific for the Indians. Yes. The Democrats profited. Well, yes. Right. Yes. Democrats profited. But yeah, the results for the Indian nations were horrific. Right. Right. And it's yeah. the same. It's the same with their policies today. They're they're horrific for whatever target group that they're trying to profit from. Yes. They're benefiting. That's somehow. Right. Uh, Nancy Pelosi's Walking away from Congress as a, as a billionaire almost. Or, exactly. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is this is what they do. And it's it's not isolated. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's not based on sound bites over the course of the past two years. We're talking about a lengthy history. Yes. Going back 200 years of Democrats putting forward these ideas. Yeah, especially starting in the, the post-Civil War era. Right. Where after the Civil War, there were many Americans went to Germany, studied this German philosophy absorbed these ideas of the administrative state and regimented life. Yep. And that chaos was the enemy and regimentation was the, the friend <laughs> and sought to bring that back to the United States. Right. right. It, it, it fit. The thing about, about that German philosophy is it, it fit with their actions up until then. They just didn't have an excuse for it up until then. Well, after, after studying the German philosophy, now they knew how to put names on everything and, yeah. and make it a technocracy. Yeah. And, and, and this has gone in waves. Yeah. Over the decades. Yeah. 
it's not been constant and consistent as gone in waves. Right. And we're currently in the midst of a wave of this right now. The wave of this fill in the blank. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I always want to put a word in there. <laughs> so okay, we do not have an FCC license to protect. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> this is bullshit. We'll yes, just call bullshit. it what it is. Yeah. So, all right. So let's go back to the Civil War. Yeah, okay. well, let's go back before. Let's go back before the Civil War. Yes, review a little bit, okay. right? For okay. the last episode. So the Democrats, Andrew Jackson's policy is Indian removal. Right. Take the Indians east of Mississippi and push them out to the Great Plains, right. or at least to the edge of the Great Plains. Right. And this is what they do. In violation of the Constitution, in violation of the Supreme Court telling them they're violating the Constitution. Right. This is what they do. Right. And uh, the idea there being, as I mentioned before, you had these various expeditions. The United States had made the Louisiana Purchase in 1803. And you had these various expeditions, Lewis and Clark, Pike, Long, etc. Later, Bonneville and Fremont, those people would go explore the West on behalf of the federal government. Mm-hmm. And they called what we now call the Great Plains, the Great American Desert. And they uniformly reported back, no Americans are going to want to live on the Great Plains. And anybody who's ever driven I-70 through Kansas can sort of agree with them. You know, I mean, I can totally get that. (laughs) But I live on the Plains now, so. (laughs) Exactly. But this is their notion. All right. So here's the solution to the problem. We will push all these Indian nations out to the Great Plains. Nobody else is ever going to want to live there. Problem solved. That's, That's the thought. And with that in mind, in 1851, they're going to sign... The Treaty of 1851 at Fort Laramie, and they're going to divide up the nine, divide up the northern Great Plains among nine Indian nations. Okay. And the only thing the federal government is going to ask in return is unfettered access to the Oregon Trail. Okay. People can come and go up the Oregon Trail. And and just uh, just for reference, so the Oregon Trail ran from, if I'm remembering correctly, about St. Louis. Independence, Missouri. Independent. Thank you. Independence, Missouri. um, To the Willamette Valley. Right. And it's... Forks in Nevada to take you south to California. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So, so that was basically it. And, and it ran through Wyoming uh, yes. in large, in large part because the, the mountain passes here were lower, easier to navigate. Because than you ran you over South Pass. South Pass was the one place in the Rockies. You could get a wagon over the Rocky Mountains without a road. Right. Yeah. Right. So. You know, there's there's landmarks actually out by my house that I I want to go explore and haven't explored them yet yeah. <laughs> of, of the Oregon Trail. I mean, it's it's a huge part of American history, obviously. Yeah. So yeah, and not far from where we live is Fort Laramie. Right. You can go up there. It's a worthwhile trip if you're ever in the area. Right. Many of these treaties and negotiations happen there. Right. It was a trapper's fort that the United States Army eventually took over from the trappers. Okay. And uh, yeah, it was kind of the the epicenter of Indian relations on the Great Plains. There was no Bureau of Indian Affairs back then. Okay. It's important to understand Indian Affairs were run by the Department of War. Oh. Right. This is who who was in charge of Indian Affairs at that time. Okay. So and that kind of tells you what they were thinking about affairs with, Indian, with the Indians well, by putting it in that department. Indian Affairs was actually a bigger part of that job than war. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And the, the Army officers were the negotiators of these treaties. I mean, the Department of War was uh, at least up till 1890, primarily consumed with Indian relations. Okay. So they were the department that did that. Yeah, that's 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 really interesting. I did not know that. Yeah. Okay. So they signed this treaty in 1851. Then what happened? Well, here's what happened. For eight years, nothing much. Right. The, the federal government's attitude is that they had pushed these Indian nations out to the Great Plains, or at least out to the edge of the Great Plains. 
the government thought, well, some people don't live out there, but not many. There's trappers, a few trading posts. Right. People like that, but nobody's going to want to live on the Great Plains. Right. right? It's kind of crazy. Right. It's really inhospitable out there, as we say that in Wyoming in winter. But, you know, what's going to happen is 1858, you have gold discovered in Colorado. Okay. And all of a sudden, there are tens of thousands of people making brand new trails, not the Oregon Trail, brand new trails to get to the gold fields in California right. across these tribal lands that are set aside by treaty. Right. And the Indian nations are like, well, what the hell? <laughs> Eight years ago, you sold this. This you was had not okay. One highway. You had one That's highway. Right. You had one highway. <laughs> and you asked for it. I mean, it's important to understand the Indian nations didn't come and say, here's our offer. Mm-hmm. It was the federal government that said, here's our offer. And the Indian nations said, we'll take it. Mm-hmm. Absolute, complete lack of foresight by the federal government. Right. But the Colorado gold rush is just the start because you'll then have a civil war. And to a large extent, you will have the army, which up until that point, other than times of war, the United States army had primarily been a frontier army whose job was primarily to enforce treaties they wanted to enforce (laughs) and to uh, assure peace between people on the frontier. That's really the role of the United States Army for for the bulk of our history up until the Civil War. And Civil War, much of the army gets pulled back from the West to go fight the Confederacy. And many of the officers in the West uh, resign their commissions and become Confederate officers. Right. Right? Right. Uh, The uh, Second United States Cavalry was famous. Because I believe there were nine of those officers in 1860 in the Second United States Cavalry, which was in Texas. Okay, so I believe nine of those officers became Confederate generals. Well, now is I was going to ask about that because Texas, of course, was a slave state; it was part of the Confederacy. Yeah, but that wasn't a, a critical factor. It was just yeah. I mean, Albert Sidney Johnston and Robert E. Lee and you know uh, right. Sam Hood and the officers of that regiment were almost all from the South, and they almost all became Confederate officers, Confederate generals. Yeah, but but this is really the purpose of the army. But the army pretty much disappears from the frontier for the duration of the Civil War. So the Indians get sort of a reprieve. There's a lot of violence, because at this point, without the army there, understand, nobody's stopping individual Americans from violating these treaties. Right. Right. And that's that's kind of what happens, right? People start violating these treaties willy-nilly. Okay. You have the, the Colorado Gold Rush, really, 1859 is when the masses start showing up across these trails. Mm-hmm. During the Civil War, you have a gold rush in Montana, okay. and you have the Bozeman Trail right? that, that splits off and goes up the, the east side of the Bighorn Mountains through Wyoming and then across Montana. And it's a violation of these treaties. And it's just the Indian nations are like, well, where do we go here? Right. With this, and the federal government's like, well, you know what? We're busy, <laughs> right? I mean, it's basically it, right? The federal government is, we have zero tolerance for anything going on here. You just deal with it, but don't harass Americans. And other than that, we're busy. Okay, but they're being harassed by Americans. Yeah, they're being harassed by Americans, and they're they're harassing Americans, right? Yeah. It's getting ugly, yeah, out there, right? After the Civil War, it continues to get ugly. And what's going to happen? Among many things, the United States Army is going to uh, oppose Lakota, Dakota, Dakota, interfering with travelers on the Bozeman Trail, even though that's in violation of the treaty. Mm-hmm. So I get a Fort Kearney in northern Wyoming. Okay. And that is going to spark 
1868 what is called Red Cloud's War. Red Cloud was a Lakota, and he is going to lead this war, and he is going to successfully lead this war. It's one of the few times that an Indian nation will win a war against the United States Army. Wow. In 1868, okay. Fort Carney will have to be abandoned, and as the soldiers march off, the Lakota will burn it. <laughs> right? Good for him. Um, it's probably most famously known for a Fetterman's Massacre. Okay. Uh, Wagon box fight, Hayfield fight. There, there were a lot of famous battles that happened around that war and around Fort Kearney. So Fort Kearney saw more combat than any other United States military post in history. Really? Yes. Huh. During Red Cloud's well, War. Where is Fort Kearney exactly? Uh, uh, it's near Story, Wyoming. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And uh, but Red Cloud's going to win his war. And the United States is going to come to the table. And in 1868, they're going to sign a new treaty. And they're going to go, okay, yeah, give us the Bozeman Trail. And we'll give you all this other stuff. I mean, basically, right. that's what it's like, right? Okay. Red Cloud's going to go, all right, I'm not going to push my luck. I'll take that, right? Okay. I mean, that's kind of how it's going to work out. So what's going to happen here? Lakota are going to go, all right, you know, mm-hmm. got a new treaty. Well, that's not going to last. Because just a couple of years later, they're going to find gold in the Black Hills. Right. Right. Lakota are going to be like, you know, there's masses of people now flooding into the Black Hills. <laughs> what? <the> In, <laughs> exactly. In violation of the treaty. Right. And, and let's be clear. The Treaty of 1851, I can't say this enough. The Indian nations did not ask for that treaty. Right. This was the United States government who said, hey, let's make a deal. And the, the Indian nation goes, okay. And then they violate it and violate it and violate it and violate it. Exactly. So once the Civil War is over, you have this gold rush to the Black Hills. You have the Transcontinental Railroad now right. going through, right. right? And then you have something else nobody foresaw happening. So this is how Russian history plays into Indian history. Okay. <laughs> Catherine the Great um, was the arena of Russia in the late 18th century. Right. And she was ethnically German. Okay. Okay. Catherine the Great thought a lot of Germans moving to Russia would really help Russia. Okay. Germans always think that. Why do they always think that? Because <laughs> it's generally true. But, you know, so, so here's what she does. Not, not a lot of Germans are really interested in moving to Russia. Right. <laughs> so she makes a deal. She goes, if you're German and you move here, we will exempt you from taxation and exempt you from conscription. You won't be taxed. You can't be drafted into the military. That's a pretty good deal. That was a hell of a good deal in 18th, 19th century Europe. Right. Right. And so lots of Germans move to Russia. Okay. And they come to be known as the, the Volga Germans. Okay. Okay. All right. 1871, Tsar Alexander II is going to revoke those privileges. Okay. He's going to say, yeah, we're going to tax you and draft you. The Germans well, feeling a little Indian about now? <laughs> well, well, what happens to these Germans who have moved to Russia? Uh-huh. They go, well, Russia's no longer a great deal. Right. And so they, they in mass migrate to the United States. Okay. And as so many new immigrants do, they head west and they get to the Great Plains. They go, hey, this looks like where we came from in Russia. They go, we know how to live here. We know how to farm here. We can make a go of this. And they stay. Yeah. And they start farming the Great Plains. So now these Indian nations like, okay, we got trails. We got railroads. We got, now we got these farmers who speak funny. (laughs) <laughs> right? I mean, seriously. I mean, there were so many of, of the Volga Germans showed up. You know, Colorado became a state in 1876, mm-hmm. right? The Colorado Constitution in 1876 was published in three languages. I didn't know that. English, Spanish, and German. I'll be darned. Because so many of these people would move to the eastern plains of Colorado by then. Right. Right? But yeah, it's... And so, yeah, the Indian nations are like, 
no, we're not, we're not cool with any of this. Right. <laughs> this is all a violation right. of, of these treaties. Absolutely. And the United States government, if you put it in context, the United States government at that time is dealing with reconstruction. Right. This was the focus of the government. And so the United States government is focused on trying to reincorporate these former Confederate states into the Union. They're fighting the Ku Klux Klan. Right. There are armies, organized armies. Outside the control of any government, Republican armies and Democrat armies fighting each other, primarily composed of former Civil War soldiers, commanded by former Civil War generals, <laughs> fighting pitched battles in these southern states. Oh, my God. And, and there are people, the Ku Klux Klan is lynching by the hundreds and thousands. And oh, by the way, right, I, I know this is not politically correct. About three quarters of those who were lynched were black men. About a quarter of those lynched were Republican white men. Right. Because Ku Klux Klan was opportunity denier of civil rights for anyone who demanded civil rights. Okay. And so you have all this going on. Yeah. And the federal government is trying to use the army to ensure these newly freed slaves can enforce, can exercise their rights. And that's where the focus is. Right. 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 Again, we're busy right now. Exactly. We're busy. Yeah. Yeah. And at the same time, yeah, you have lots of people. It's obvious at this point. Lots of people want to live on the Great Plains. You have, you know, Cheyenne, Wyoming, Grenville Dodge, who was the engineer for the Transcontinental Railroad, put us decided before the Sherman Grade, which is the highest point of the Transcontinental Railroad, just mm -hmm. west of Cheyenne. Mm -hmm. So he needed railroad yards before the highest grade to service those trains. And, right. 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 And so he puts his finger on the map. And by the time he lifts his finger up, there's a city there that's Cheyenne, Wyoming. I mean, literally, right? He, literally, the next Kinda. day, yeah. there's a tent city where he had put his finger on the map because everyone knew there was going to be railroad yards there. Yep. And so, and still yeah, are. yeah, cities are springing up and yeah. farmers are farming and all this stuff. And, and these Indian nations, like, wait a minute, we just signed 1851 treaty. We signed one just 1868, like last year. Right. Right. I mean, what? You're already violating exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. The federal government is pretty much like, we're busy. Yeah. Right. That's, that's kind of the, the approach. Right. Okay. And politics in Washington disarray, Andrew Johnson. And then, you know, you have Ulysses S. Grant, Grant appoints Sheridan to go be basically commander of the West, bring some kind of order. Right. And Sheridan's order is a lot of violence against Great. these Indian nations. Well, that violence committed by a guy named Custer. We right? all know about him. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so it all gets to be absolutely out of control because the government has no foresight. And even longer back, because the government revoked the invitation to become Americans. Right. This all could have been avoided. All could they, have been avoided if Andrew Jackson had not revoked the invitation. If they hadn't, if he hadn't introduced greed into the whole, the whole yeah. situation, really, yeah, is it, kind of what it boils down to. Exactly. Exactly. And so what's going to happen here? 1871, there's going to be a writer to an appropriations bill called the End of Treaties. Okay. Okay. And Congress, federal government's got to go, okay, we're not going to deal with these people anymore by treaty. Oh, you know, it's a complete violation of Article 6. <laughs> Every concept of law that exists on exactly. the face of the planet. Exactly. Yeah. So what, what the federal government's going to say is no more treaties. We're going to deal with you via legislation or a simple executive fiat. Great. Right. And so it's easy to argue these treaties were never fair because one side was much more powerful. Than the other. That being said, the Indian nations always had the right to say no. Yeah. Right. You always had the right to walk away and say, no, we're not going to do that. Right. So in 1871, 
Congress will take away the Indian nation's right to say no to anything. At that point on, it is just going to be complete pure force. That's it. We're, we're going to deal with you via legislation or executive fiat. And if you don't cooperate, we're going to send the army. Right. That's, that's what it becomes in 1871. At the same time, you have truly one of the most horrible things the United States government's ever done. And this is forced acculturation. Okay. It's not hyperbole. I'm not making this up. Right. The name of that, the, the motto of that program was literally kill the Indian, save the man. Jesus. Okay. And the whole idea here is federal government looks at this and realizes what a wreck they've made. Right. That lots of people want to live in the Great Plains. And now you got, you know, all these Indian nations and they're mad as hell. Right. Right. And everybody's and, all stirred up in this one single exa- pot. And, and, exactly. Yeah. And, and what are we going to do with all these freaking Indians? That's, that's pretty much their view. Mm-hmm. And so they think, all right, you know, those Cherokee once upon a time kind of became Americans. <laughs> right? Maybe, you know, and they're going to start off here with a really bad idea. Whereas we Cherokee became Americans because we were invited and we did it voluntarily. Right. The federal government's going to start on a program in the 1860s that will last into the 1980s of forced acculturation. We're going to force you to become Americans. Right. Right. You're going to comply, damn it. Right. That's that's the attitude. And the very worst aspect of this are the residential schools. So the federal government's going to do, they're going to take Indian children at the age typically of five or six Mm -hmm. and take them away from their parents and send them off to schools, typically back east until they're 18 years old. And these children are going to grow up in these residential schools without parents, without extended family, without siblings without any kind of love, any kind of sense of who they are whatsoever. Right. And we talked before about the idea of creating the new man. Yeah. Well, it was talked before, after the Civil War, these these Americans went to Germany and they studied these philosophies and they went to these colleges and schools and came back with these initial progressive ideas about creating the new man. Well, this is where they're going to put that into practice. Great. Right. They're going to take these Indian children at five years old, send them off to school, separated from everyone and everything they would have ever known, right. raise them, like I said, with a family, without love, in a 24-7 regimented environment to create them into the new people they want them to be. And they're going to do this until the 1980s for over 110 years. It's going to be a catastrophe. Yeah, no kidding. Nazi Germany did this, albeit for a much briefer period of time, because Nazi Germany was around very long. But the Soviet Union did this for decades. Right. And the results, the Soviet Union are going to be the same as they are here with putting Indian children in residential schools. It's going to be disaster. Yeah. So probably we think 10 to 12 percent of these children died. Some died from being exposed to diseases they otherwise would not have been exposed to. Many of them simply died of broken hearts. Anybody has children, grandchildren, imagine your government coming when your child's five years old, taking your child, you not seeing that child again until they were 18. Government going, we're in charge of these children and putting them in a regimented school. You don't raise your children. That's just inhuman. It's, it's absolutely inhuman. How, how did they justify that? Other than their new man philosophy is, I mean... No, it's exactly how they justified it. The new man philosophy. But every single person who was involved in this whole thing, I mean, how did... How did not, not every single person is that heartless. Uh, everything... Right? I would say every single person involved in this thought they were doing something good. That, and there is the problem with this whole philosophy. Right. If you convince people that what they're doing is good, they can do anything. It's not... Right. Good. It was disastrous. And it created masses of dysfunctional people. Oh, no, it created kidding. masses of people who would themselves have no sense or idea of how to be a parent because they never had a parent. Right. 
right? It, it was just horrible. And, and like I said, this isn't ancient history. This went to the 1980s. I know people that this happened to. I know people, this is how they grew up in these schools. This is, like I said, it's not ancient history. Okay, so, and tell me if this is not something that you want to answer. How did you escape this policy? Well, how did I? Yeah. Uh, very few Cherokee were ever taken. Okay. After the Civil War, Cherokee saw which way the wind was blowing. Sure. <laughs> Again, very wise people. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we thought, well, what could we do about this? And we spent from... After the Civil War until 1906, we spent a lot of our national treasury bribing politicians to omit us from legislation. And if we fail to do that, we've spent a lot of money bribing bureaucrats not to inflict regulations against us. Gotcha. That's how we escaped Cherokee. Most of the worst of this. Okay. So there were Cherokee children who were taken to residential schools, but we were taking much smaller numbers than other nations. Okay. But- yeah, I mean, this is this is what happened, right? You know, yeah, we bribed a lot of politicians and bureaucrats not to have these laws, regulations, and policies enforced against Cherokee. Right, and we're much better off for having done that. No kidding, but, it was well spent money. Yeah, yeah, but but this is what what's going to happen, right? right? And uh, it's horrible. I mean, it's, it, that's horrifying. I mean, that's every dystopian novel I've ever read wrapped up in one. Yeah, it's so real. Th- there are a couple of things. So a lot of people aren't Indian. Assume. Indians are upset about certain things, and they often are wrong about what Indians are upset about. But at the top (laughs) of that list of being upset, this is it. Yeah. Residential schools. That really is part of the the chunk that you guys are getting around. Yeah. Yeah. It it was just horrible. I mean, taking, and it's all all in service of, as we said before, creating this new man. Right. Well, you know what? We could take these children and make them not Indians. Right. Make them woke. The people we want them to be. Right. Well, no, you can't. All you can do is make them dysfunctional people. Right. Right. I and mean, that was really it. Right. Their parents make them who they are. Their their families, their communities. Right. Right. Putting them in a, a regimented environment 24 hours a day where you teach them that what their parents believe is evil and you need to only believe what we teach you to be good. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? It really sounds familiar. But this is is exactly what happened. Yeah. We talked about learning from history. Learn from history. Right, right. Right. Uh, And that's part of the reason why, exactly why we are talking about this. Because like you said at the beginning of the series, everything that the American government did to the Indians, they're trying again. Yes, they're trying on everybody else. On everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. you should learn from us. Yeah. Seriously, learn from us. Yeah. Help us reverse this. This does but not But don't work. adopt it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so you end up with this whole era here of progressive thought where these children, Indians at large, but especially the children, mm-hmm. are nothing more than laboratory experiments for progressive social studies. Right. That's all they become. And, and this, this lasts 100 years. Yeah. This is who, what they will become. Yeah. Right. Everybody who has, hey. Here's the idea. They're doing this in Russia. Hey, they're doing this in Germany. Hey, let's try it in these kids. Right. I mean, that's literally what is happening here. Well, and if you think about it, by the 1980s, the the new current progressive pedagogy had, had spread into the education system at large. Yes. At that point. Yes. So I would argue that even though they closed down the residential schools for Indians only, the Indians, just like all the rest of us, are being yes. subjected to the but, same ideology. Yes, but at least you got to go home to your parents. <laughs> That's a good thing. Yes. You got to go home. I mean, there's, there's yeah, culture and community. Yeah. 20, captive seven days a week, 24 hours a day for That's 13 years. Horrific. Oh, yeah. Absolutely horrific. Yes. No, exactly. So as the government realizes how much is screwed up here. Right. With this whole idea. Between the end of the Civil War and 1890, the Great Plains are going to be completely populated. Right. You're going to have 
these Indian nations trying to fight these wars. The height of success, of course, is Little Bighorn, mm -hmm. right? Custer gets wiped out. Mm -hmm. Can't say he didn't deserve it, right? <laughs> right. Uh, but, but really, it's a losing war. Yeah. There's just no way to fight this. There's just too few versus too many. How did the, the Homestead Act work in with well, all of this as well? Well, because this was the same time period. Yeah, most of the Homestead Act was on tribal land. <laughs> right? So they just, but, but this is part of the end of treaties in 1871. Okay. They're arguing, well, these treaties no longer matter. We do what we want. And you're just going to sit down and shut up and take it. Right. I mean, that's the whole attitude. Oh, by the way, give us your children. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this is Jeez. what's happening in this era. I mean, you wonder why you see these movies and you wonder why these people are so willing to fight to the death. Well, they're going to take their children. Yeah. Right. I mean, understand the other thing going on starting in this time period that ended in 1969 is state courts, especially Montana, Wyoming, Arizona, Utah, and Idaho. Okay. State courts in very many instances are going to decide their own version of residential schools. And that is uh, even more extreme. They're going to, by court order, simply take children of Indians away from their parents and give them to white families. Oh, and the argument here is a child is better off with the worst white family than the best Indian family. That's exactly the rationale. And so you have a baby, they're going to come take your baby and legally give it to white family. Oh my gosh. And so again, this is an ancient history. This went on to 1969. I mean, there were probably, we don't even know how many, probably hundreds of thousands mm -hmm. that this happened to. And I know people this happened to. And it's not that their adoptive families were kind and loving, good parents. Sure. But the whole idea that you just take a child because the mother is an Indian, there's no other reason. And, and so while they're trying to force acculturation, people are trying to hide. They're trying to get away. Last thing you want, anybody knows you have a child. Right. Right. I mean, you're really trying to live as underground as you can. Right. Right. And so it has this opposite effect of, of a, what they think it's going to have of acculturation. Right. And then you're going to take these children for 13 years, send them back to their people, and uh, they're not going to function. Right. Because they, they never experienced. Uh, they're, not, they're not part of that community. They're not part of that culture. You well, not well, that they're a part of any community. Yeah. They, they don't even they don't know what parents are. Yeah. Right. It's. Oh, it's horrifying. Oh, it is. Okay. As, so so that went on from the 1860s to the 1980s yep. in varying levels of horror. And tell me, I mean, obviously this ended at, at some point in time. But in the meantime, there were a lot of more horrible things that were done by the U.S. government in violation of these treaties. Yeah, right? well, <laughs> I mean, we, we're just going to go off here. Once they figure out what's the end of treaties, mm -hmm. the... Uh, Federal government, that you said, bad idea, pump, bad idea, pump, bad idea. Residential schools, bad idea. Adopting children out, yeah. bad idea. Right. But they're going to realize we have all these people yeah. and all, all these Indians, and all we're doing is freaking supporting them. Because what they're going to do is take away the lands, right? Right. Push them onto generally reservations. Right. Generally, those reservations would be the worst land available. That's why they decided to give it to Indians. Right. 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 They're not going to give them any viable way to make a living right. off of that land, support no. themselves. All they're going to get is subsistence rations for decades. Right. Right. And no hope of no, any way to change anything. And then it gets worse. <laughs> because. <laughs> but wait, there's more. Yeah. You're going to have this quite progressive fellow. And understand, late 19th century, progressivism was more of a Republican thing than a Democrat thing. Okay. Right. You had a lot of progressive Republicans who thought, you know, 
this was the way to go. This is all scientific, <laughs> right? It's like raising these children in these okay. schools is scientific, right? They go, there's a scientific way to do all this. We could, we could manage all this scientifically and, uh, you know, follow science, right? <laughs> so Charles Dawes is one of these. Okay. And it is going to spearhead the Dawes Act. Okay. And the Dawes Act is one of the most vile pieces of legislation in American history. So on these lands they have, either reservations or whatever they've been assigned to, is communal land. So it's not deeded right. to anyone. Right. right. That is not, that is one of the things Indian cultures all have in common, not to have deeded land. Okay. So like the Cherokee, even though we were entrepreneurial, we were very capitalistic. We don't have deeded land. Okay. So Cherokee, you own the improvements to your land. You don't own the land. The land belongs to everybody. Yes. So you would own a house. You would own a barn. If you planted 40 acres of carrots, you own that 40 acres of carrots. Those are yours. Right. Right. But you don't actually own the land. You own improvements to land. Okay. If you don't improve it, you have no claim to it. That's that's the basic idea. And within the Cherokee culture, that works pretty well. Okay. Right. As far as, you know, disputes and... And whatnot. Okay. Right. So this is pretty common. So Dawes thinks all these Indians need to get deeded land. Okay. Dawes Act, 1887, mandates the federal government to go survey all these Indian lands, give every Indian eligible a parcel. Okay. And then these surplus land, the federal government will sell off. Okay. But it gets worse. Okay. It gets much worse. (laughs) Okay. Part of this provision in the Dawes Act, and I understand up until this point, Someone is either, say, a Cherokee or not a Cherokee. Right. Someone's a Lakota, not a Lakota. There's no concept of someone being half or one-eighth. There's no concept of that. Okay. But the Dawes Act is going to introduce that idea. Oh, great. From the federal government. Because what the Dawes Act is going to say, if you're half or more by blood, then you're not going to be able to run your own affairs. You're going to be appointed a guardian to run your affairs. So a very paternalistic Uh-oh. view. Well, worse than paternalistic. Well, well, yeah. Because here's what happens. So a lot of people have no idea. Am I three quarters? Am I, you know, especially Cherokee, right? We're all mixed up. Sure. Right? I mean, we're all just this big racial and ethnic mix. These bureaucrats. So my, my great grandfather, for example, I took my grandmother to sign up for the DOS role. My grandmother was just, uh, just over a year old. Right. They, all, they went down there and, you know, my mm-hmm. grandmother got a 80 acres of rock <laughs> where my father was born. Right? You could make a living off of it. And, uh, you know, and her father got got land and her sister uh-huh. got a parcel across the road from hers. And, and what did you call the list? The, the DOS list? DOS roll. Oh, the DOS. Oh, DOS roll. D-A-W-E-S. DOS gotcha. roll. Yeah. Charles DOS. And uh, at any rate. These bureaucrats, you could have go to the table and sign up for the Dawes roll. Mm-hmm. So you're going to say, I'm, you know, I'm a Cherokee. Right. And, and they will get around to assigning you land once you signed up. And they're going to go, well, how Cherokee are you? And the answer is, well, all of me. I'm Cherokee. Right. Because with the Cherokee culture, you're the Cherokee or you're not. Right. And these bureaucrats got to look and stick the thumb out like it's windage and go, <laughs> well, you're three quarters. You look one eighth. You look whatever it is. And then they're just going to guess right. and put this down. But if you have, they deem you to be one half or more by blood, they're going to sign you a guardian. The guardian is going to run all your affairs. So here's what's going to happen. 
in mass. It is maybe the greatest corruption in the United States government history. I was going to say, that's just a that's just a recipe for fraud. Yeah, it is. Because so these guardians, people are lined up around the block to get assigned as guardians. Oh, yeah. Right? So say your land, just to pick a number, say your land's worth $1,000 you get assigned. Uh, okay? You have no say over what happens to your land. Only the guardian does. And nobody but the guardian. <laughs> so the guardian is going to sell your $1,000 piece of land to his buddy for 10 bucks, And you're out of your land. And then they're going to turn around and sell it. Your buddy's going to turn around and sell it for a thousand, and your buddy and the guardian will split the money. Right. Right. That's exactly This happened hundreds of thousands of times. Jeez. Not occasionally, hundreds. So if you hear someone who is an Indian complaining, you stole our land, they're not talking about Christopher Columbus. They're talking about the Dawes Act. Okay. It was literally theft. And so you have all of a sudden, you have these communal lands, and as lousy as they may have been, People had a place to live. Right. After the Dawes Act, people didn't have a place to live. They're just utterly dispossessed. Unbelievable. And, and yes, exactly. Unbelievable. So Cherokee, right? We're bribing people left or right, right? And we succeed from 1887 to 1898. Finally, in 1898, bribes don't work anymore. Yeah. And they inflict the Dawes Act upon us. And in 1898, they're going to pass the Curtis Act. Okay. What fresh level of hell is, is this? Well, it's a whole new fresh level of hell. <laughs> okay. Okay. The Curtis Act, 1898, they're going to go, okay, you know what? We're sick of these Indians. We're sick of this Indian problem. What are we going to do about it? Well, let's get rid of Indians. Not physically get rid of them. Let's get rid of the whole status of Indian. Okay. We're not going to have Indians anymore. We won't have a problem. Okay. So the Dawes Act is to eradicate all the tribal governments, all the treaties, all everything. Right. Just no more Indian nations, no more Indian people. We're done. Right. You're just all just people now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Except that you're under our tutelage or our our protection. I put air quotes around that with the guardianship who then come and take your land. You got nothing. Yeah. So on the back to being chattel slaves. Yeah. The Burke Act will amend the Curtis Act on the eve of the Curtis Act taking effect almost literally on the eve. Because what's going to happen? Railroad companies and timber companies and oil companies are going to go to the Congress and go, yeah, this is going to work. Okay. Because, you know, if I want to go cut timber, if I want to go run a railroad someplace, I, I got to negotiate with a gazillion angry Indians. Right. Right. They're angry. Yeah, well, they right. are now. They're yeah. really angry. Yeah. Right. And they're, you know, I, I just wanted to go negotiate with one guy. And so the Burke Act convinces the Curtis Act. And what happens here is Curtis Act, the federal government absorbs all the assets of the Indian governments. So like Cherokee, right? Like, so we're Americans, right? We have two colleges we built in 1851. Because for that, we had had an affinity for the Ivy League, especially Princeton. But we realized we had more Cherokee who wanted to go to college than we could send to Princeton. Okay. Okay. So we just build our own colleges. So every Cherokee start in 1851, go to college, right? You don't get taught that school either, huh? No. No, no. because they don't show that in the movies because you just face it, right? Can't have guys attacking the wagon train on spring break from college. <laughs> right? That's not a good plot line. But, you know, yeah. Yeah. Right. You have these colleges, right? right. My, my great, great grandmother went to college, Cherokee College. I'll be darned. You know, she graduated before the Civil War. Okay. Yeah, here there. But we have, you know, our, by the time the Curtis Act passed 1898, our cities have natural gas, electricity. Mm-hmm. Right? We're, we're not living in teepees. Right. Right. We're not living in hovels. Well, that's the Lakotas. <laughs> but, but, you know, I mean, we right. have gas works in our cities and we have electricity. So here's a little tidbit most people don't know. The first 
phone system west of St. Louis was not Los Angeles or Denver, San Francisco or Salt Lake. It was the Cherokee Nation. Really? We were the very first people to have telephones west of St. Louis. We're Cherokee. We had telephones before Denver had telephones. Right. Right. And so we're just, we're Americans, right? We're like buying up technology and implementing technology and improving our lives. And all of a sudden, boom, it's all gone. Federal government takes it all. Right. The Curtis Act. And, and they take all our government assets and, and they dissolve the Cherokee government. OK, no more government. That? And what they do, though, they allow this provision because railroad companies and mining companies and timber companies, and oil companies, such. Right. Don't want to deal with one guy. So the Burke Act puts this provision that the president of the United States can appoint a government for one day. To sign the papers. And that's that's how it's going to stay until the 1970s. Holy moly. Right. And this is important to understand because a lot of things are going to be done here in that time frame. And they're only going to be that Indian nations agree to it because the president appointed somebody whose specific job was to sign the paperwork. Right. Right. There's a famous photo from Montana of a, I believe it's a flathead fellow who was appointed chief for a day to sign away his tribal land to build the dam. He's, and he's just, you know, it's uh, quite a poignant photo because he's just crying. Yeah. He just got appointed one day. This is his job. Put his name on that piece of paper. Yeah, that's, but that's that's how it worked. I mean, this is the most unrepresentative model of government you oh, can it's, imagine. It's this never even dawned on the Soviets. Right? Right? I yeah. Mean, yeah. The president just appoints somebody for a day if they need something signed on behalf of the nation. Right. Right. And he to signs it. Some- Next day, there's no government anymore. Veil of, of legitimacy None. that is absolutely false. None. None. But that's that's how it's going to continue for decades. But it gets worse. <laughs> wait, wait, there's more. <laughs> yeah, wait, there's more, right? This is this is not going well for Indians, right? The children are being taken away or adopted out. Right. They have virtually no way to make a living in this land. And they have zero political representation, even in their own nation. Right. Right. They're just sitting there going, you know, what can we do? Right. And, and things get worse and worse and worse for them on an individual basis. Right. Right. But it gets worse. <laughs> so there's a, a fellow named Fred Nice on okay. the Rosebud Reservation. He was arrested for selling alcohol. Okay. Now, it was a federal offense for an Indian to sell or consume alcohol. He has before prohibition. Okay. Okay. So Mr. Nice has apparently a pretty solid lawyer. Because his lawyer's going to put up a really good defense. Okay. His lawyer's going to say, as a citizen of a Indian nation on tribal land, you have no jurisdiction over me. Oh, and as a citizen of the United States citizen, as most Indians are by this point, the United States government has no ability to restrict what I do with alcohol. Right? Solid. Constitutionally, right? Yeah. And, and he's acquitted. But they really want to convict him. Okay. So they appeal. It goes to the United States Supreme Court. The United States Supreme Court will convict him. Really? Yes. And what was their what was their basis? Justification. It's, it's horrific. They're basically going to say Indians are to be emancipated when, if, and to what extent the federal government will decide on an individual basis. That's, I, I'm not even sure I can I can formulate the words. At which point did you become unemancipated? Well. That, that's what we're going to say. We are unemancipated. They're going to make us wards of the state. And this decision, they're going to compare us. American Indians to children. Right. And they're going to say, yeah, children are citizens, but they don't get all the rights everybody else gets. And they're going to say, we're, we're minors. Am I in 
ORS, right. not to people digging the dirt, but children, right? That, right. That's what they're going to say. Right. We have all the rights of minors. Even though, for example, you had the first telephone exchange west yes. of St. Louis, yes. even though you had built two Ivy League colleges for the Cherokee Nation yes. and everybody went. Yes, we're not adults. We're all just children. We have the capacity of children. I mean, that's, that's literally what the decision says. Hence, we require guardians. We cannot run our own affairs. So literally from the decision, they're going to say that citizenship is not incompatible with tribal existence or continued guardianship. And so may be conferred without completely emancipating the Indians or placing them beyond the reach of congressional regulations adopted for their protection. At whose judgment? Because they never seated your representative. No, you have no, no say in no, this government it, 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 exactly. or these regulations. Exactly. But yeah, they're going to rule. We are wards of the state requiring guardianship. Now, nobody has to know me too awful. No, I'm a really horrible ward of the state. <laughs> that's, not, that's just not going to work. You're here. a bit disobedient, I would say. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yes. It's just not. Yeah, it's just not going to work. Right. And so we have this whole new legal status created out of thin air. Right. As wards of the state. Right. To be emancipated when if and to what extent the federal government thinks on an individual basis. And in case anybody's losing track, every single step along the way has also involved greed. Every single step, trying to get your land so that they could build their railroads, so that they could, you know, do the mining, so all of that kind of stuff. Every single bit of it has yeah. to do with greed. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the fact that, uh, whereas you start off with this degree of goodwill mm -hmm. under George Washington. Right. Right. There's no goodwill. It's destroyed. Right. Trust is destroyed. Right. And, and to a large extent, still destroyed. Sure. Right. And I'm just going through all the reasons so people understand why it's destroyed. Right? And, and all these decisions yeah. that people need to understand were horrific. Right. But I, we see people advocating for these same kind of decisions today for other groups of people. Exactly. Right. And so all this, you have interesting things happen. Charles Curtis is a citizen of the Kaw Nation. Okay. He'll be vice president for Hoover. Right. So, okay. I mean, this is the insanity of it, right? You have this fellow as vice president. Right. Who, according to the nice decision, has all the rights of a minor and he's a guardian. Right. <laughs> but he's vice president of the United States. Right. Right. So eventually you get around to 1920s. They make anybody who wasn't already a citizen, a citizen, any Indian. Okay. Okay. But things are just going badly. Uh, yeah, they're they're economically going badly, health wise going badly. People have virtually no control of their own lives. Right. Right. And it gets worse. <laughs> so it's happens? not funny, but it's funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is the story for eventually to start to get better. OK, but I'm, I'm time, happy for just, that. I'm glad I'm it just gets worse. So, as you know, if the listeners don't know, Franklin Roosevelt and Adolf Hitler came into power at nearly the same time. Mm hmm. Okay. Some of the New Dealers under FDR were critical of the Nazi attitudes toward Jews, as they should have been. Yeah. As anybody we're, we're talking 1933, 34 here. Sure. We're not talking the Holocaust, the final solution, Treblinka. That's in the future. Right. Right. We just have here serious discrimination. Okay. Okay. So these New Dealers are going to be critical of the Nazis. And the Nazis are going to fire back. Remember, this is 1933, 34. Okay. The Nazis are going to fire back, see. Jews in Germany have more rights than Indians in America. And that's going to sting. Yeah. FDR. Yeah. And the New Dealers, because it's true. Yeah. Okay. That, that argument gains international traction. Interesting. 
And so new dealers, being new dealers, going to go, oh, we got to do something about this. Of course, they're absolute dedicated progressives. Right. So what do they do? They pass the Indian Reorganization Act in 1834 and then the Oklahoma Indian Welfare Act in 1836. And basically what these acts are going to do are turn the tribes who will sign off on them. And remember, the president's appointing who gets to sign. Right. <laughs> right? It's not exactly a, a representative process here. You got to turn your Indian nation, your sovereign nation from Article 1 of the Constitution into a corporation. Okay. That's how you end up with those corporations. Okay. This is the act. Okay. And the government's going to say, if you sign over corporations, we will help you start businesses. We'll extend credit, et cetera. Okay. But part of this is forming this corporation. Okay. Your board of directors are the Bureau of Indian Affairs. The federal government is your board of directors. Okay. That's the fox watching the freaking hen house. Uh, Yeah. So you're only going to do what the federal government wants you to do. Right. Right. And beyond that, you also sign off on the ability of the federal government to terminate your corporation. Okay. So the federal government directing Indians and what businesses they should start to be involved in is a disaster. Like any central planning is going to be. None of this helps. These acts don't help. Right. They make it worse. So how much worse they make it? 1944, Congress is going to hold hearings. Okay. Now you think 1944, there may be a few other things Congress is busy with. A couple. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's World War II. It's the height of World War II. 1944, D-Day will invade France. 1944, MacArthur's going to invade the Philippines. Right? <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's bad enough for Indians that Congress is going to hold hearings. That's and Congress something. is going to decide the Bureau of Indian Affairs is too corrupt and incompetent to enforce their own laws. Oh, don't applaud yet. Okay. Because here's what Congress's answer to that is. Well, we're just going to terminate the Indian nations. We're not going to get rid of them. <laughs> okay, so they're terminating all the corporations then? Yes, or? they're going to terminate these corporations. And then, then what? Well, then these people are just no longer part of the corporation, no longer part of a nation, no longer legal Indians. Do they have land? No, they got nothing. They're U.S. citizens, though. They're U.S. citizens. They got nothing because the Curtis Act took all their assets. And they have nothing. Wow. And, and they can't even, and again, right? These and their children are been, still being shipped off to schools. But, but yeah, but we're not going to give your children back. No, no, right? no, no. But, but yeah, I mean, these people have been coherent, cohesive, self-identifying, culturally, linguistically groups of people right. for thousands of years. And the farmers are going to go, you don't exist anymore. <laughs> and so between 1945 and 1969, they're going to terminate 109 Indian nations. Just terminate? I... Just terminate them. Okay, so... So I talked about the residential schools being pissing people off. This is the other thing. Well, yeah. That really pisses Indians off. But let me let me ask you just, you know, from a... Like, on the ground, I mean, so all, all of this is legal legal wrangling in, in Washington, D.C. On the ground, what was the effect? I mean, you've been living with your neighbors for however, how, you know, however long in your community for however long, you know, revering well, the elders, or, you know, doing whatever the tradition is with, within your tribe. Right. Once Washington say, says you no longer exist, that still goes on, right? Well, if you can remain there, if you can remain in an economically viable position, but most can't. Right. Right. So basically scattered to the wind. Unbelievable. Yeah. But th- this is what happens. And so 109 nations will be terminated between 45 and 69, 24 years. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They're just going to start picking them off one by one until Richard Nixon will stop that. Well, and you know, for Nixon, that's yeah, amazingly enough, by far the president who has done more for Indian rights in the entire, at least since John Quincy Adams is Nixon. Huh. So Nixon's going to stop termination. 
Okay. Right after, but only after 109. And then they will make, actually, Ronald Reagan's going to apologize for it okay. in the 1980s and invite people to reapply. Only one nation's going to be able to successfully navigate that process okay. to become a nation again. Right. Right. So, yeah, yeah, you know, this whole termination process. And so Nixon shows up. Nixon's going to end termination. Also, 1969, under Nixon, you're going to pass the Indian Child Welfare Act. Okay. And I'm a huge advocate of the Indian Child Welfare Act, which is under fire at the moment. But what the Indian Child Welfare Act did was say, all right, any children that need to be removed from their parents or are orphaned, mm-hmm. go back to their nation, not to the state court. Good. The nation is responsible for placing them somewhere else. Okay. And it puts an end to this practice of, just grabbing Indian children and adopting them out to white families. Good. Right? And yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, a Cherokee child, regardless of where they are in the country, is not the property, not the jurisdiction, not the responsibility of a state court, is the responsibility of the Cherokee Nation. Okay. And so, we, we have a process to go get these children and find them homes and- That's good. All, all that sort of That's stuff. That's a step in the right direction. No, it's finally. huge. Not yeah. to be able- Yeah. And then- Eventually, 1980s, they get around to ending the residential school program mm-hmm. and issuing some apologies there eventually. Well, that's good. Yes. Um, should be footing some therapy bills as well, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah. And, and so, and then the next thing you have, the appointment of tribal government, where the president just appoints somebody to sign a paper, right? They're going to end that. Nixon's going to end that. Okay. And he's going to start with the Cherokee. Okay. Yeah, I get to thump my chest here. <laughs> but yeah, Nixon's going to allow the Cherokee to elect a chief and have a government. And we're going to elect W.W. Keeler. Okay. He's a muckety muck with Philip 66. He's <laughs> okay. a very smart man. Okay. He's going to realize that the federal government back in the 19th century is shorted us two and a half million dollars on a treaty. He's going to go get that two and a half million dollars. He's going to okay. use that seed money to put the band back together. Because even though we have a government, we have no revenue, no means to raise revenue. Right. Right. What's a government without? Those. Yeah. Yeah. It came and rent an office. Right. And. We're going to start putting the Cherokee Nation back together from that point. Right. Good for Chief Keeler. That's awesome. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Right. And and so, but then something else is going to happen because the 1970s things really start to change. Okay. So they start with five tribes legislatively being able to choose their popular government. Right. And the, and the five tribes, that was from the last episode. So the five yes. tribes were the, the five, five tribes who nations. voluntarily became Americans before Andrew Jackson. Right. Yes. Right. At Washington, at, at George Washington's yes. invitation. That's under right. The Constitution. Yes. So. Cherokee, Choctaw Creek, Seminole and Chickasaw. Okay. Yeah. And so 1970s Cherokee Nation will resurrect as a constitutional republic. And a national entity. 1975, they will pass the Indian Self-Determination and Education Assistance Act. Okay, talk to me about that one, because self-determination is a phrase that's been in my vocabulary for a very long time. We get to choose our own government. Nice. That's what it means. Okay. No more appointing somebody to sign a piece of paper for a day. We can have elections and choose our own government. Okay, so... So, in 1970, the appointment of tribal government was brought to an end just for the five tribes? Um, and then they extended it in 75 to everybody else? Yes. Okay. 75, okay. they extended it to everybody else. Okay. Yeah. So, and then you have a lawsuit, 76, Harjo v. Kleppe. The Creek Nation, the Muscogee, will bring a lawsuit going, hey, you know, we want all the rest of our rights okay. back here, right? Well, who's Kleppe then? Well, these, uh, Kleppe, I believe, was a BIA official. Okay. Okay. Harjo was a Creek. Okay. A, a Muscogee. Uh, I'll read just a brief excerpt from that decision. Plaintiffs okay. claim... The Creek Nation is at bottom simply an assertion of the right to democratic self-government 
a concept not wholly alien to American political thought. <laughs> Plaintiffs have demonstrated a clear legal entitlement to have these rights vindicated, and the court cannot honorably do otherwise. Nice. Yeah. So the court's going to go. Yeah, you get to you get to run your own lives again. You get political self determination. Right. I mean, that's really what it is. Recognition that you're not minors. Pardon me? Recognition that you're not minors. Well, exactly. <laughs> the recognition we're not children. We can run our own affairs. We can run our own government. We did it for a very long time. Thousands of years. Right. Pretty successful. Longer than you guys have been doing it. Yeah, exactly. I love that. A concept not wholly alien to American political thought. A little tongue in cheek there. <laughs> yes. Like a little. Was this a Supreme Court decision? Yes. Okay. Do you know who, who wrote that? I do not. Okay. Yeah. We'll look it up. We'll, yeah. we'll link to it in um, the show notes. The other one was Supreme Court lawsuit, 1980s, United States via Sioux Nation of Indians. Okay. So Sioux was politically incorrect at the time, that now, but that's, I'm using that because that's what the lawsuit is. Okay. So Sioux is a pejorative word the Pawnee applied toward Lakota, Dakota, Dakota. And okay. <laughs> first the French and then the Americans kind of picked up sure. on Sioux and called them Sioux, just like we call Cherokee, but we're Jaligi. Okay. okay. So they prefer being Lakota, Dakota, Dakota. Right. The actual lawsuit is the United States versus Sioux Nation of Indians. If you go back to that Treaty of 1851, that Treaty of 1868. Okay. Okay. They're promised that this area in that Treaty of 1868, including the Black Hills, would be, quote, set apart for the absolute and undisturbed use and occupation of the Sioux Nation. Pretty absolute. Yeah. And of course, that didn't happen. Right. Right. And the Sioux will get around to Sue. <laughs> All right. Okay. And they will go to Supreme Court and they will win. Okay. And and Supreme Court's going, yeah, you know, that whole treaty of 1868 was just utterly trashed. Right? Right. And, and that's uh, we got this Article Six thing, right? Yeah. Treaty's the law of the land. So here's but this is really interesting. And hats off to these people for this. The uh, court basically Required the federal government to give them a billion dollars. A billion dollars for with this. a B. Nice. A B. Okay. 1980. That's a lot of money, especially yeah. in 1980. Yeah. Right. They refused to take it and they still refuse to take it, sitting in an escrow account collecting interest. Really? And they have still not taken it because they go, no, we don't want the money. We want the treaty. Yeah. Right. We want the treaty. This is not the money. We want the treaty. This is their, their attitude. Yeah. And, and it's amazing to me as somebody who's kind of a fan of the Constitution <laughs> and somebody who is an Indian. Uh-huh. How many people claim to want the Constitution are kind of reticent about getting on board the Constitution for Indians? <laughs> right. Really? Article one and Article six. <laughs> right? I mean, every constitutionalist in the world should be lining up. Behind this decision, going, well, sure. hey, they're just demanding constitution. You're offering our money for rights and property they never voluntarily gave away. Right. Right. Okay. So, I, and I am also a fan of the Constitution, obviously. Yeah. Um, also a forensic CPA. So, I, you know, my role is to, when somebody's been injured, you know, to, to determine, you know, the financial worth of that injury, more or less, you know, right. and, and I don't, I don't do personal injury, but you know, that's kind of conceptually what I do. What, what you're saying is they're demanding specific performance of the contract, basically. Yes. How do you do that after the Homestead Act, after all of these people have dealt uh, in, with each other in good faith? And very much the same way it's worked for the five tribes in Oklahoma, Cherokee, okay. Chickasaw, Choctaw, Seminole Creek. Okay. Okay. So within tribal lands, those boundaries, uh, if you are a Cherokee on the Cherokee Nation, you are subject to Cherokee law. Okay. If you're not, you're subject to your county state law. Okay. 
Yeah, it actually works pretty simply. Well, that's pretty easy. It, it's Why really don't they take easy. the billion dollars and just buy some land? Yeah, but they that's what they want. They want jurisdiction over that territory. Now, it doesn't mean everybody who's not Lakota, Dakota, Dakota has to move, right? Okay. It just means they will be subject to state law. These people be subject to tribal law. Well, that seems eminently doable. It's very doable compromise. It, it like I said, right. it works other places. It works with the five tribes. Okay. I mean, Cherokees live next door to not Cherokees, and everybody get along just fine. And typically, like tribal law enforcement, county law enforcement, city law enforcement, state law enforcement are all cross badged. Okay. Right. So if a Cherokee so violates the law, yeah, a yeah. county sheriff can arrest them. Okay. Right. If a non-Cherokee violates law, a tribal policeman can arrest them, right? Okay. So my other question <clears> then, obviously, North Carolina, or North Carolina, North Dakota was probably part of that treaty, I'm guessing. Yes. Okay. And North Dakota is sitting on some pretty valuable stuff. Oh, yeah. How does that work if specific performance is required? Do they pay Do they pay a severance tax back to the nation or? Well, yeah, they have to come to an agreement with the nation. They have to figure it out. Right, right? now, you got to come to an agreement with the federal government. I'd rather negotiate with the tribal government than the federal government myself, especially the Biden administration. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm just going to leave that one alone. <laughs> no, that's so, yeah, I mean, that seems eminently doable. So, I mean, we have, we have lots of oil drilling, natural Oklahoma. gas drilling on the five tribes. I'm sure that you do. Yeah. And, and the Osage, yeah. well, not among the five tribes, but live among us, okay. just north of Tulsa. Okay. Northwest of Tulsa. Uh, once upon a time, Nesilaga were the wealthiest people in the world per capita because of Philip 66 oil on Osage land. I hope you darn. Yeah, they were the wealthiest people in the world, Nesilaga. Huh. That's not so much true anymore. Right. Not that they don't do well now, but yeah, 80 years ago, they were the wealthiest people in the world per capita. Let's talk them into buying Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah, purely uh, because, yeah, they, they were not. Uh, That's awesome. Frank Phillips. Drilled okay, so all that oil off the Osage Nation. When I, so, yeah, I, and I mentioned earlier, self-determination has been part of my vocabulary for a long time. And, you know, obviously I do not know this stuff to the depth that you do. And my interest in it is, again, just as an American who has, has studied enough of the history to know that we broke our word every step of the freaking way. Oh, yeah. Every step of the way. Fixing that would be my focus at this point. And it was always my theory that economic self-determination was the way to make that happen. Yeah, well, so you really have to repeal the uh, Indian Reorganization Act and Oklahoma Indian Welfare Act. Okay. Because the BIA are sitting as the board of directors of these nations. That's horrible. It's beyond horrible. And I, I tell people things that are true and they think I'm probably lying, but I am not. And it varies. This is, we talked, about, I think the previous episode, the insanity and consistency of it all. So what's true of one nation is not true of another nation is not true of another. Right. Right. It's, it's all, all the federal government. Completely inconsistent. But there are not a few Indian nations. You live where they tell you you have to live. Right. You work where they tell you you have to work. It's run more like a cult compound than anything we would recognize in America. Jeez. And, and this is not hyperbole. They may go, you're going to live there. And you go to a two-bedroom house and there's already six people living there. And you're supposed to live there. And they go, oh, but you got to get a minimum wage job here. And here's 60 miles away from where they told you to live. <laughs> and so you're living in a house with six people that you don't know, driving 120 miles a day to a minimum wage job at a gas station or something. And if you want to start a business, you have to ask the permission of the federal government. So you and I have both started businesses. You and mm -hmm. I have both run businesses. Mm -hmm. 
you imagine having to ask the federal government the waiting for one, two, three, four years? I can't even. For them to get back and tell you yay or nay. And very often they say no. And the grounds they say no on is it's not culturally appropriate. Oh, jeez. I'm, I'm dead serious about that. <laughs> oh, man. Right? So, if you're sitting on a, you know, Fort Washakie, Wyoming, right. and you go, you know what? I got a hell of a good idea, and I got capital for a software business. Yeah. I'm going to employ a thousand people here. They may very well go, no, it's not culturally appropriate. So, software is not culturally traditional. So, help me, help me understand, what if they just went ahead and started it? Well, you would be violating the law. Okay. They could shut you down. I would think that that'd be a perfect opportunity to sue and take that to the Supreme Court. And that and has happened. Get a lot of this stuff but thrown out. But suing is a tribe-by-tribe basis. Okay, I see. So if you're this tribe and you sue anyone, it doesn't apply to the other 575 tribes. Oh, good grief. And so you have 575 lawsuits you got to win for everybody to get that. And that's, that's the problem. It's stuff like this that makes me want to run for office to introduce legislation to fix it. You no, know, no, I mean, it's, it's easy to fix. Article and Article 6 fixes it. Right. That, that's it. Return to the Constitution. Well, how about we just eliminate the freaking BIA? Well, that would be a step. Okay. Right. I, I think that that would be a, a part that I would be definitely behind. Yeah. Yeah. It, it all comes down to, and this is really, you look at that nice decision where they ruled we were minors requiring guardianship. And, and you go to compare that to John Marshall. Right. In 1830, where he says, we have the same natural rights everyone else has, right? There's no difference here in our rights and the rights of George Washington. Now, so the, the difference was that you owned something that they wanted. Yeah. Yeah. You owned, you were sitting on something that they wanted and they figured out any possible way they could to screw you out of it. Yeah. And in 90 years, we went from, you have the same, the Supreme Court saying you have the same natural rights, Supreme Court saying we were children. Right. Requiring, requiring guardians. Right. Yeah. So we've spent our near three hours talking about this now. Yes. Between the last episode and this one. Let's put a, a, a line under, the, under this and, and explain why. Obviously, it's important to the Indians. It's important to, in, in my mind, it's important to, you know, America's, you know, self-image and self, self-assurance self that we are an exceptional country that, that does right and, and is that shining city on the hill, yeah. which we haven't proven to be when it comes to the Indians. We've, no. we've done the opposite of that. So righting those wrongs, I think, is, is paramount. But I think there's wider implications oh, oh, for absolutely. all of this. So t- talk to me about those wider implications. So here's the thing about this. And I... Like we mentioned before, we could talk a thousand hours about this. There are so many other things that happen. Sure. All in this vein. Right. Right. But most people don't know these things happen. Right. Most people don't know the court decisions, the legislation, the policy decisions that led to the situation. People may go someplace tribal land. If you go to the Cherokee Nation, you'll go, this is pretty nice. Yeah. Right. I mean, Tulsa, if anybody's ever been to Tulsa, Tulsa is entirely on tribal land. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Osage, Creek, and Cherokee. Okay. Right. Tulsa sits on all three. Okay. Right. And uh, yeah, Tulsa's a, for a big city, it's a pretty nice place. Right. You may go to the Cherokee Nation and go, oh, this is a pretty nice place. Right. People are, yeah, fairly prosperous and right. it's clean. And, you know, and you may go to other tribal lands and you may go, wow, this is scary and bad. Yeah. Right. And, the degree of scary and bad is completely proportional to the degree of federal involvement in their daily lives. Isn't that funny? Yes. Yeah. And so there's, there's a lesson to be learned there in that. Beyond that, 
most people's perception of how this got to be is, like I said, it's novels, television, movies. Right. It's not what I've just explained. No. A series of court and legislative and policy actions that led to this result. Right. Right. Actual decisions led to this. And not the decisions the Indian nations made. Decisions other people made led to this. Right. Right. And many of these same decisions people are trying to make today on behalf of everyone. Yep. <laughs> right. Yep. On behalf of everyone. And they would lead to the same horrific results if that were to happen. Just let's take, for example, the forced culturalization. Oh, yeah. I look at the news today and see the things that they are trying to force on our children. Oh, yeah. With the threat of throwing parents into jail or yes. taking their kids away if exactly. they do not force hey, this stuff on kids. we know all about that. Kids. <laughs> yeah, you, you've been there, done that. Been there, done that. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. That's the kinds of things that um, I, I think it's important to, to realize that this is not the first time this has happened. And yes, we can 100% point to what the what the effects will be. Yes, if you take away the culture and the 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 community and destroy the parent child relationship. Exactly. Yeah, which we see all over the place today. Yeah, uh, centralized planning is another obvious. Thing. Uh, oh yeah, go to some of these tribal lands. Go to Indian country. Many of these places. Yeah, and look at the poverty and the misery and the decrepitness. Yeah, and understand that is 100% due to central planning. Absolutely. That is 100% due to the BIA deciding who gets to live where yep. and what you can do for a living. And if you can start a business and, you know, they're, they're one step short of, uh, you know, assigning wives. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they, that's the level of control of many of these places. That's in, in 2022 for that to be the case or 2023 yeah. or, you know, I mean, in, in the 21st century period for that to be the case is horrifying. It is. It, it's horrifying. It, it is. But. We're only 2% of the population. We're And outside of places like Alaska, right. uh, Oklahoma, South Dakota, right? right. Places like that, what, utterly and completely invisible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can go to parts of Arizona, New Mexico. Yeah. Right? That's That's been, that's where my experience uh, in general, besides my experience up in Alaska. Yeah. Um, some in Idaho and, and then yeah. in New Mexico but, but and yeah, Arizona. For most of the people in this country, Indians are invisible. Yeah. You know, we're, we're some mythic thing. That they have attributed fictional qualities to good or bad. Yeah. And the idea that they're rational, simple human beings. Right. Who very often are living in conditions most Americans would never accept. Right. Is not a conscious thought most people have. Right. It's just not something that people worry about. And, and the shame is, is that I guess the, the fin finest point, the final point that I want to put on this is that it's happening again. Only not just to Indi Indians. And and I want people to understand that, that these, yeah. this is the result of these really bad policies, these really bad decisions that were made over and over and over again. At, at and the, they're all being made again. Yeah. At the root it is abandoning the Constitution. Yeah. I mean, even for Indians, the Constitution had remarkable foresight. Yeah. To be able to say, hey. Well, the fact that it was written in there at all. Yeah, exactly. I mean, let's start with that. Yeah, exactly. Know? Yeah. I mean, this is this is astoundingly bad. So. I'm glad things are better. I'm glad to see that. But yeah, this is obviously there's a long way to go to to even make anything resembling reparations for for what's happened. You know, it's time for reparations. Just give us a constitution. Well, yeah. Let us run our lives and fulfill the treaties. Life would be good for right. everybody. Right. Yeah. That would be a concept. Yes. <laughs> Keith, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge, your, your deep, deep knowledge on this um, and your passion for the subject, obviously, uh, with us. And, and uh, 
you gave me a lot to think about. I mean, stuff that I've never heard before. And I thought I was pretty well versed on this stuff. So <laughs> there's a lot more. <laughs> there's like, yeah, I know, like you said, we could do thousands of hours. On this. Yes. <laughs> and I, I know it'll come up again and again because it's, um, I hope this doesn't sound callous. It's a brilliant case study for what we're dealing with. No, it is. And and the framework that, that we've been talking about trying to trying to be able to hang things on. We've got empirical data oh, yeah. in, in the treatment of the of the Indian nations. No, we, we have, we have objective results to measure. Absolutely. Yeah. So not quite sure what we're going to be talking about next time. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm really, really glad that we were able to get this done. And so I hope that all of you enjoyed uh, this two-part series on on the history of the Indian nations in, in the United States and and progressive progressivism and how that affected that story. And I hope that you will join us next time when we talk about some other brilliant subject <laughs> on cowgirls and Indians. Thank you. 